Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I am very excited to introduce Ian Mendes of The Athletic. Um, obviously, uh, I don't know if I told you this, Ian, but you're our first recurring guest, so congratulations. Wow. Thanks so much. For, yeah. Thanks so much for, for coming on, and I first wanted to say just that you've been so generous with your time on and off the air, and uh, I really appreciate it, and I'm really excited to, to for you to come on the show once again. Yeah, listen, I'm I'm happy to do it. And I hope me coming on again, uh, you know, kind of sends a message to you of how much I appreciate uh, the passion you have for this, the uh, uh, the way that you ask questions, the curiosity that you have. Uh, you know, I, I I'm I'm quite impressed that your 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 kind of knowledge when it institutional knowledge uh, mm. when it comes to the media landscape. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm super excited for the uh, the conversation. Thank you so much, Ian. That 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 means a lot. And I want to go off that a little bit and, and talk about the media and the sports media. And you were on Locked On Senators, who great guys. And um, you talked about now in, in this day and age that it's it's hard to get people to pay for sports news and and, and pay yeah. for news. And what do you try to like what do you try to do to to make people feel inclined to to pay for your content? It, it's it's a great question, isn't it? Because and and I and I mentioned this with the locked on guys, and I'll I'll bring it up again with you. Uh, there is a real reluctance from people to pay for news. There's not a reluctance for people to pay for content. There's not mm -hmm. a lot of a reluctance for people to pay for uh, music or streaming or whatever. But when it comes to news, there seems to be this idea that well, I can get it for free uh, on the internet, and 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 it's uh, it's a dangerous thing, and so. Uh, you know, as a reporter that works behind a paywall, you have to say, well, what am I doing differently that um, makes people want to read what I what I do? And so it's uh, it's a real challenge. And, and and I think, you know, for me, I think I try and approach the stories, you know, uh, let's say I'm, I'm covering a game or a, a press conference. Everybody in that room has the same information, right? Like everybody... Coming out, so I try really hard to say, okay, I got to write a story that it can't be summarized in one or two tweets for starters, you know, mm. um, because if if your story can be summarized completely in a tweet or two, where's the depth in yeah. that for starters, right? So why why on earth would anybody pay three dollars a month uh, to read me if they didn't feel like there was any you know any depth to it? So I try really hard to say, okay, like how do I um, you know, how do I make this, you know, kind of deeper than, mm -hmm. than, than other people or different, but, but to say like, my goal is never uh, to be first with stories. My goal is to be best. And if okay. I, if I uh, use that, that's the mindset I try to use is that how can I do this better than anybody else? And I know that I'm not the best, but I'm trying my best to, um, you know, you have to almost <clears throat> believe that in yourself that yeah. that that you have something unique to say or a unique way of looking at it and that's really the only way to to try and tackle it but it's a real challenge because realistically uh the landscape is filling up with with uh you know blogs and podcasts mm -hmm. and uh you know outside entities that are covering the team in a manner which is just as as passionate as I cover the team uh, the only difference is I have access, right? So, so now yeah. I have to use, that's the one tool that I have ahead of, you know, whether, you know, uh, you know, the locked on sends guys or, uh, you know, Brent Wallace's podcast coming in mm -hmm. hot. 
Uh, although they they do have some access to players and same with locked on, but but like not on a daily basis, right? Yeah. And so I have to say, how do I uh, take what I can get and and make it different than what, what the other podcasters are doing, what uh, you know, what Silver Seven sends and and some of the other uh, bloggers are doing? How do I how do I make it different? And it's a challenge. It's a real it's a real real struggle sometimes to come up with something unique that that nobody else is working on. And like, for example, listeners might not know, but you had a really cool piece about the guinea pigs and, uh, and, uh, with Jake Sanderson and, and Shane Pinto. But I know as well on that podcast with Locked On, you talked about range with, as, as a writer. Why do you think it's so important to have the range to maybe write a story about guinea pigs and Jake Sanderson and Shane Pinto? What do you think like you bring with the range that you, you try to have? Yeah, it's look and and like within the span of a week, you know, mm-hmm. I was able to write the the Jake Sanderson Shane Pinto really fun guinea pig stories, and that came off the heels of, uh, you know, trying to give a very honest and objective uh, analysis of Pierre Dorian's time as general manager, and that was sandwiched in between with a I think I did a yeah I did a story on uh, I'm trying to remember the dates, but anyway, uh, on mm-hmm. like the very dry stuff with the arena at Le Breton Flats. Yeah. And so there's a good example of what I'd like to think is a little bit of the range, which is, okay, um, humor and a little bit of, uh, you know, knowledge and a little bit of um, a little bit of opinion. And and really, I think we get stuck in this idea that that reporters are one thing that, mm-hmm. OK, well, th- this is the this is the reporter that that does this and this is the reporter that does that. And and you put yourself in these little silos and I. I don't think we're like that as human beings, right? Like you can be multiple mm-hmm. things. You can be funny and smart. I'm not saying I'm funny and smart, but I'm saying, you know, yeah. you can you can try to be funny and smart or you can try to be empathetic or you can try to be thought provoking or you can, you can do all these things. You don't have to only be one thing. And I think sometimes that's where we mistake, make mistakes as writers is we think, oh, well, I'm, I'm the hockey guy, so I should just stick to hockey. And so I'll just write about the power play and, and zone entries and, you know, th- this type of thing. When, you know, if you want to write about um, the culture of the sport, you can. That you know, I think sometimes in 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 hockey in particular, I think there's this feeling like, oh, like the 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 deeper stories, the bigger stories, those are for Rick Westhead and those are for mm-hmm. Katie Strang and those are for they're not they're for everybody, right? Like and and just like the humor pieces are 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 there. They're not just for uh, you know. I, I think James Duffy when he writes is fantastic. Mm. Uh, you know, and I think he does great uh, humor stuff. Uh, but but you can also do poignant stuff and powerful stuff. So I think when you can try and show off a little bit of that range, is it's important for you to grow as a writer. And that's and I'm still like I'm fairly new at this. Like I still have mm-hmm. only done this for two years and a bit as a full time writer, and I'm still learning the craft. I'd like to I'd like to think that I'm still learning the craft and trying to to figure out what works for me and uh, where I can kind of look at other writers in the market and say, like, I'd like to to steal that aspect from them of, of how they write or uh, how they uh, attack stories or, you know, different. Look at other people, how they do things and see the the things you'd like to take away from them. And uh, it's yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a challenge for sure. And like you, you said that you like to steal and from other writers, obviously <laughs> pun and kind of, yeah, yeah. but also that you want the range, but what is, would you say your process for writing? Boy, it, it really depends. Um, let me think, I'm trying to think like, 
like uh like well like 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 the Pierre Dorian uh, article that that I wrote last week it was you know I I before watching the press conference or going to the press conference I I sat down and I watched you know all of his press conferences from hmm. uh 2018 19 20 21 and 22 which wow. you know on the surface some people might say like oh wow I can't believe you did that but isn't that kind of my job to you know to to do that and um, you know, so I, I went into it and I said, okay, like I want to kind of really sense the tone of what he's saying today and match it up to maybe some of the things that he's said before, because I don't think anybody else is going to do that. Um, I don't think anybody else, any of the competitors uh, wanted to attack the story that way. And I'm not saying that the way that I did it was better or right or what they, what they did wasn't, mm -hmm. it's just, how do you be different? Right. So I went into that with the thought of, okay, I'm going to just see what, it yields. I never, I, you try to, it's really important to, to never go into a story with like, like a preconceived notion or an agenda, because I think if you do that, you're, 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 you're looking at a very narrow focus and then you try and maybe, you know, focus your questions and, and try to get somebody to say something specific. And if they don't say what you want, you're like, ah, you know, you're trying to go back and you, you gotta let the story come to you. Sometimes you gotta be really prepared, but understand that the story could go in a, in a myriad of directions. So yeah, that, that, you know, for the Dorian one, I went into it with a bunch of knowledge of, of everything that he had said in previous press conferences. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to see what does he say about this and that. And I asked him about, you know, maybe this taking longer uh, than he thought. And, 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 and in Pierre's defense, look, when you've done as many press conferences as he has, I can understand why you might not recall saying certain things or, or you know, uh, mentioning certain things. If I hadn't gone back and watched everything, I wouldn't have remembered all this. Like I have a notebook or I shouldn't say a notebook, a note, uh, uh, like I, I use an iPhone and a MacBook. So I have a notes thing and I have a whole bunch of quotes over the years from players, coaches, whatever, all in this notes file. And sometimes I'll go back to it and say like, Oh, what? I feel like I have something Dorian said this about Sanderson two years ago, mm -hmm. or I think DJ said this about Tim Stutzla 18 months ago, and I have everything. So you just try and go into stories and try and give a lot of context, right? Like, and, and that's really my, my process is that I try to go into it really uh, without an agenda and very um, open-minded. And I understand there's people that will read my stuff and say, my God, you're so negative or my God, you're so, uh, angry mm -hmm. or so my god you hate this person and i don't and and all i can all i can tell you is the way i approach it now whether or not people listening to this believe me that's not that's not a me problem and, and that's yeah. that's i've come to learn that i i've come to learn that a lot of people don't quite understand the core function of journalism they don't they really don't and so when i take blowback from people that say like man mendez hates pierre dorian <laughs> mendez hates the sands Mendez, this, that, uh, you actually don't quite understand journalism and that's okay. I, it, that's my job is to try and explain that to you. Uh, that person likely didn't go to journalism school. That person likely mm -hmm. hasn't taken media literacy courses. So it, I have to understand, I have to leave room for them to grow. I can't just shout at them and say, you don't understand journalism, yeah. you moron. Well, yeah. the whole point of journalism is that we explain journalism, right? So if we, if people in the marketplace don't understand our job, that's on us. It's not on them. It's on us to, to teach the job. And so that's why I love coming on podcasts like this one, because you take the time to 
try and get to the kind of the nitty gritty stuff that we do mm-hmm. as journalists and reporters and and then we can be transparent and 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 there's no agenda here there's no there's no hiding from from anything and 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 I'm and I'm happy to explain the process but I think it's a great it's a great topic to have or to conversation to have because I don't think I would say mm-hmm. 80 or 90% of fans don't understand the role of the media. I really, I really believe that. And I would argue that 50 or 60% of uh, people employed by NHL teams don't understand the role of the media. And it's really, it's really tough because at the end of the day, our job is meant to be guardrails. We are guardrails. You're on a road. We are the guardrails to keep you on the road. Mm -hmm. If we don't keep you in check, you can go right off a cliff off the side of the road. So, Sometimes it's unpopular for us to have to ask the tough questions and write the tough columns to say, you know, you should stay on the road because if you you go off the road, all hope is lost. And and I don't think a lot of people in fans or front office people or people who work in the league, I don't think they quite understand that. They they look at media organizations as, you know, you're there, like you're benefiting from us. Mm. You're using our players to grow your brand and you're like, that's not what I'm doing. I'm I'm trying to write stories, tell stories, uh, and but by 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 the end of the day, my job is to hold you accountable. That that is what the core function of journalism is. But it's been so lost in in this age of you know disinformation and uh, platforms, and uh, nobody quite understands the role of reporters and, and journalists. Um, and I think there's some journalists and reporters who don't even understand what our jobs are uh, in this, uh, in this day and age. Well, I want to go off that a little bit. And, and you talked about the, 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 the piece on Dorian, but my, my question to you is how do you then next fall, for example, when let's say that Pierre Dorian is the GM or the summer, how do you connect with him and have maintain a relationship with him and other players, but also be able to write critically and honestly and, and ask them hard questions. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. And um, I, I think Pierre and I have certainly had, uh, you know, our, our ups and downs and, and, and that's the way it should be though. Like it, it shouldn't be. And I, I, like, this is, this is how I feel. This is how I honestly feel. If you've missed the playoffs six years in a row, you as a general manager shouldn't like what I'm writing. And me as a reporter, I shouldn't love everything that you're doing. Otherwise, you would be in the playoffs. Like, that's the nature of the business. Uh, but if there's a mutual respect for each other and the jobs we have to do, we're not going to have any problems. So I don't have, like, I understand where he's coming from. Now, that's on him. I, I, I can only assume if I see him at a press conference coming up, I'm not going to shy away. Uh, I'm going to ask him a fair question uh, in advance. Uh, of, of a press conference or, or, or not in advance at a press conference, I'll ask him a question. I'm not, I'm not worried about, um, you know, asking, uh, you know, tough questions and then you lose, uh, you lose your, your, you know, your, your status. And I think there's a great conversation too, to be had about access journalism yeah. and that uh, access journalism is actually more dangerous than people think, you know, people and again, this goes back to the original point of, I don't know that everybody quite understands the role, but, and this isn't just an Ottawa thing. You would find this in virtually every market in North America that covers it. If 
you write negative stuff or ask tough questions, you will watch your access to that team be restricted. That's that's not an Ottawa thing. That's an everywhere thing. That's a sports that's in, thing. Yeah. That's in that's in sports. Okay. So, but that's the inherent danger of access journalism. Is that the irony is that the people who are there to hold the players and the management and the coaches in 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 check are the very ones who are worried about. Well, geez, if I write this, I won't be looked. You know. So you you end up walking a bit more of a tightrope. Whereas, if you're not involved with the team on a daily basis and you're kind of writing from afar, you are far more likely to be, you know, maybe truthful may not be the right word, but critical is probably the better word. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you'll, you'll find that people who have access to the team, it's a lot harder. And there's a great conversation to be had around access journalism in, in sports. And that, um, you know, that, that if you do tough stories, automatically you don't get the chance to you know you know grow relationships and it's yeah it's 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 a great conversation to have but it's 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 really tough uh all you can do and all i try and do is i and i try and tell the players this like uh if you ever and i and i say this to anybody if you ever have a problem with something that i write or i say pull me aside pull me aside and say you know man i didn't like that I didn't think that was fair. I didn't think that you were accurate. Like I, I have a lot of time for that. Um, I, the one thing I will always say is like, I have never in my life mm-hmm. printed or posted anything that it was, you know, purposely inaccurate or false, or I, I don't even think I've ever put out anything false. I don't think any, like people might have a problem. Like if you hear it, like, Oh man, Mendez, like, I don't like his reporting. He's got an agenda. Yeah when your agenda is the truth, <laughs> yeah. some people might, but you know, go point to me one thing that I've ever written ever mm-hmm. that wasn't accurate. Mm-hmm. One thing. And I, I will have the conversation with anybody who wants to have a conversation about something that wasn't accurate. Like accuracy is everything to me. So I try and tell that to the athletes that I cover and the coaches. And if you have a problem, here's my number, phone me up and light me up. And I'll take it. I'll explain uh, where I'm coming from, why I wrote what I did or said what I said. And, you know, we can try and come to a better understanding, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to hide from, uh, you know, writing something uh, difficult uh, if it's the truth. And how do you, how often does that tend to happen where a player comes up to you and says, that's the case. And do you find that it it builds almost a relationship that you have a kind of give and take. Uh, yeah, it can. Like I'll, I'll like I'll give you like I, I'll I'll tell you a, a guy that I think has been extremely uh, fair to me over his four plus years here is DJ Smith, and mm-hmm. and I I think he's been more than fair to me. I try to be fair to him, but when I write something uh, or you know put something in that he doesn't like. He's very quick to very privately pull me. And we have a great conversation mm. and he will blast me. And, but in a, in a professional way, yeah. in, in a very, when I say blast me, I mean, he'll, he'll give me his side of, yeah. uh, of what he's thinking. And I, I just have so much respect for that. Like, uh, you know, pull me aside and say, it's, it's, it's not right what you wrote. And here's why. And I, oh, okay. Like, but this is why I wrote it. 
and mm-hmm. and then you come to an understanding and an agreement. Like I I have a lot of time for him uh, professionally because I think uh, he's he's taken some of the criticism from me. He's done it with 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 a uh, you know with some degree of accountability in my opinion. But but I understand there's people out there that think that that he shouldn't you know be the co- whatever. Like he knows what's going. Like he knows the score. Like trust me. Yeah. Like the guy knows what's going on. Like anybody who thinks that he he isn't aware of. Everything. All the uh, the discourse, he knows. He knows what's going mm-hmm. on. Um, but I like that. I, I I enjoy having a professional, re- and that's all I strive for, a professional. I don't want a, a personal relationship with anybody because I think what happens is uh, when you create a personal relationship that's too close, uh, you then become reluctant to write about somebody in a, in a, in a fair, honest way, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I try really hard, even in the stories that I write, like Sanderson Pinto would be a great example. You try and build up that relationship, you build up trust, but you take it to a certain point. You never take it to a point where like, hey, man, like, boy, I'd love to go golfing with you guys. Or, mm. hey, you know, it'd be really cool if we could grab a drink sometime. I have no interest, and nor do they have any interest in, trust <laughs> me, they're like, oh, wow, we get to hang out with a 46-year-old man, sign me up. Like, no, I know that. But, but you want to have a really truly professional relationship where uh you know opinions and ideas can be exchanged between two people freely and you just get a better sense of where their their thought processes and their their mindset is so yeah that's pretty much how it works you sit down and you try and tell guys like mm-hmm. anytime um you know i anytime you, if you have a problem with me just just tell me just tell mm-hmm. me that you didn't like what was written, and and we could have a conversation. I want to move on a bit to, I know you spoke at Carleton last week about diversity and inclusion in hockey. What strides still need to be done to make hockey a truly diverse and inclusive game? Uh, good question. And it's one that I was, you know, really fortunate to be able to tackle. And I, I listen, I, I, uh, I got a lot of time for Mark Frazier. Mark, and Mark is now... Uh, working with the Toronto Maple Leafs, former defenseman with Ottawa and, and Toronto and New Jersey. And, you know, I, I got to be on a panel with Mark and, and a couple of other people from uh, from Hockey Canada and uh, the NHL. And, you know, what, what struck me really from, you know, Mark Fraser saying uh, that he's the first black executive in uh, in Maple Leafs history, like some, uh-huh. in, like in that type of role that he's the first. And this, the, the story that stuck with me from Mark and all of us that anybody who's a person of color, we all have a story or two about how we were not made to feel welcome or how we felt weird or odd in, in the hockey space. But Mark's story really landed with me because here's a guy who's a, an executive with the Maple Leafs. And he told us on the weekend, uh, Alex, he told us, mm-hmm. he said at least a couple of times this year. And so the Homer rink for them is Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. Yeah. He says he loves to watch the morning skate. Mark loves to watch the morning skate, watch the team practice. And he'll often sit near uh, general manager, Kyle Dubas, team president, Brendan Shanahan, you know, they're all there and he'll go down and sit down. And he says on more than one occasion, security has come up from to him from the building and said, excuse me, sir, uh, who are you with? Hmm. And, and, and he's saying, and, and he's thinking in his mind, like out of all these people here, Dubas, Shanahan, whatever, I played for this team. I actually play. I was in that locker. I played for this team. And you're asking me what, like, what I'm doing here? You're doing that because I look different. You're not doing that for any other reason. And 
you know, it's that's that's the the thing that we have to figure out. How do we change that? How do we change it so that when you close your eyes and you think of a hockey executive, you don't think of somebody who looks exactly the same? Um, you know, we 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 need more people of color in positions of power. We need more women in positions of power, and that's how you're going to change it. If you continue to have uh, an echo chamber of, of a certain group of people who look the same and think the same, you're not going to get the change, right? So I, I'd love to see uh, more people of, 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 you know, different backgrounds having a voice, a seat at the table uh, in at decision-making points in the NHL. None of this, you know, somebody's there for PR or there for, like, you're actually there to make the decisions because, you know what it's like to feel the brunt of racism or feel uh, like you don't belong or, or things like that. So if, if we can, that's to me, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges is, is, is trying to change the, uh, the kind of front office makeup of the sport uh, in a, in a, in a somewhat timely fashion. Uh, I mean, I don't have any inside information and maybe you do, but I hope, when uh, the sense gets sold that there is more diversity within the front office and, and everything like that. And, and all NHL teams, I, I want to, to move to the sense as best as I could with that. And in your mind, did the sense underachieve this year? And, and also just to add on that, I think what's interesting to me is if, if Norris was relatively healthy this season, do you think the sense make the playoffs? Ooh, um, the first part of your question, do they underachieve? No, I think they were kind of like, I think if I wrote in the beginning of the year, if Ottawa finished between 85 and 90 points and kind of flirted with a playoff spot, most people would be happy. And I, and I think I generally agree with that. I think, I think that's the case, but I'm also a proponent of being somebody that says two things can be true. Like we, we don't have to only live in what, was it a good season or a bad season? Okay. Well, it was a good season, but there's, there was room, like there was room for this to be a better season. Yeah, in my opinion, there, there it was sitting right there. When you miss the playoffs by three wins, so think about it. Roughly every nine weeks, Ottawa just had to win one extra game. Every eight, whatever, eight nine, eight nine weeks, one game, and you're in the playoffs. You're playing Boston or you're playing Carolina, and excuse me, and 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 we're having a completely different conversation. So I think two things can be true. I think you can say it was a uh, a successful year, a year that met uh, you know the targets, but there was also room for it to be better. And so, you know, as to Norris, uh, boy, it's it's a tough one. I, like, I think most people would tell you if you had to pick the biggest issue for this team this year, I think it would have been goaltending. I don't know, like, if you're telling me I could have kept one person healthy all year. And kind of playing up to their level, and the choices were, uh, you know, Josh Norris or Cam Talbot or Josh Norris and Anton Forsberg. I think I would take the goalie. Yeah. Um. And 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 so, I'm reluctant to say that if Norris played every game, that they'd be a playoff team. But it it leaves me feeling like they should be a playoff team next year. And that was the whole point of my column last week. Like, yeah. let's stop tiptoeing around this of like i completely another, agree let's take another little step next year that's my only point and 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 i always found it funny that people are like i can't believe you bashed pierre like that i didn't bash him at all i, no. I if anything i said 
Let I, I, at no point did I advocate firing the guy. I didn't say that. Like, find me the line. But people people will read what they want to read or hear what they want to hear or see what they want to see. Uh, I I just think it's time for him to kind of swing back a little bit to where he was four years ago and say, this is how it's got to be. Yeah. we got to be a playoff team. Not, don't say that, you know, we should take another step. You should be a playoff team. Like, there's no reason why, you know, Brady – like, Brady Kachuk's going into his sixth year in the NHL. Yeah. Let, let's stop with the idea that this is a super young t- – like – this is their window. This is the window to compete and right now. Mike, I, I completely agree with you. I think the expectation should be the playoffs. And if they don't make it, it's not a successful season. But if they do not sign to Brinkett and he's sold, uh, sold, I'm thinking soccer, um, and he's traded, should that should they still think that the expectation should be to be a playoff team? Oof. Yeah, like, like I think, look, they can say all they want about we're not a playoff team. We'll see next year. Look at the way that they've behaved with their transactions. So, like you said, so last year they traded a first round pick to get Alex to for two years of Alex to guaranteed. After that, we don't know. You got two years of team control and Alex to You traded a first round pick for two years of control of Jake's uh, chicken beyond the season. After that, you don't know where he's going to be. Uh, you traded a young goaltender in Phil Gustafson for a 35-year-old on an expiring deal. Those are win-now trades. Those aren't, you know, I, gee, I sure hope we take hmm. another step. In the, that's, a, that's a win. That is behaving like a win-now team. Win-now teams, like if you were truly rebuilding, would you be trading first-round picks? No. no. That's, not how, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. So... This is good. The, the, the Brinkett thing is really interesting because none of this should fall on the player. Okay. Like, like none of this, I don't want to, like, I don't think I want to take part in any discourse where people are yelling and screaming at Alex to Brinkett if he wants to, if they're, if he wants, if he doesn't want to take less than market value to stay. And I'll tell you why. Like, first of all, I think I, I usually come down on the player's side because I think they have a finite, amount of time to monetize themselves. They, you know, seven years, eight years, nine, whatever. Players don't have 30 years where they can just keep signing contracts. So I'm always of the opinion, go get paid. Go get paid, go get your money wherever you can. That That's you. But Alex DeBrinkett didn't ask for this, right? right? Like he didn't ask to be put into this situation. They traded for him. It's his right as a player who's going to be turning 27 in, in, in about a year this is what the, the collective bargaining uh, agreement affords him. The opportunity to have a choice that he didn't have when he was 18, when he was a free agent, that he didn't have when he was 21, when he was an RFA or, you know, all, this is his time to use it. So maximize your leverage. And I think this is going to be fascinating because I don't know, like, I think he likes it here. Like in my car, okay. like I do think he likes it here. I do. But does he like it here at seven and a half? Mm-hmm. That I can't I can't answer that for anybody. That's something Alex has to answer. Or does he like it here at eight? You know, like does he like it? Because I do think that this organization has probably set an internal salary cap, right or wrong. And I, I don't think it's a bad thing. But Timmy Stutzel and Brady Kachak are your top two paid guys. Okay. I, I to me, I don't know that you can go over and above that with anybody. I mean, maybe if Jake Sanderson has another dynamic year, maybe you make an exception for him. But that's it, right? Like, like, 
at some point you say this is our internal ceiling and this is what we're hoping is that everybody takes just a little bit less to stay but it's the player's prerogative like if yeah. they don't want to take less to stay it's not because they don't love the city and they don't love the t- they just feel like hey i can i can go make more money elsewhere and and we forget that sometimes that that they've got families and they've got things that they want to take care of that 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 aren't just about winning and 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 staying so it's going to be really interesting if they can be a playoff team but i i feel like their best chance of success is with the brinket okay but i don't know again i i don't think let me put it this way i don't think they can go into next year the brinket's on his expiring deal and they're like well let's just see what happens yeah no i think that's the worst case scenario i think either you trade them or you try to sign into an extension, but that little bit in between, that's the dicey thing. And I, I know that they, I think he said at the media comp availability that they he'd let them know by, was it the draft, I believe? And um, the the sale of the Senators is still ongoing. Do you have a favorite? You've reported a lot about the sale. Do you have a favorite as we speak? And I know you said that bidders have not been told yet about the timing of second bids. So Maybe just give us a little bit about uh, how you see the ownership playing out. Yeah, it's been pretty quiet, to be honest with you, in the last three weeks. Like, a lot more quiet than I ever thought it was. If you if you would have told me, and we're having this conversation, I think it's on the 24th of April. Yeah. Um, if you would have told me on the 24th of March that we wouldn't have some degree, degree of clarity, I, I'd have been really surprised. Like, I think wow. Gary Bettman came to Ottawa March 27th. Yeah. And the feeling was about four weeks, six weeks after he visited, we might see a conditional sale. And then another six weeks after that, taking us into mid to late June, might see a finalized purchase. It's not feeling that way uh, right now. Um, You know, the one name that keeps coming up to me repeatedly of uh, who, who everybody seems to like is Michael Landlauer. Michael Landlauer is the one name that uh, I think the league likes him. I think everybody who I've ever talked to that's dealt with Michael and is like, you don't understand. This guy is a great guy. Um, you know, like, so I wonder if there is some behind the scenes attempts of trying to say, okay, but we can't not do this without, you know, we have right. to do this with Ryan Reynolds, right. On, yeah. on some level. So you wonder to yourself, are they figuring out how they move some pieces around and, and make a, a partnership work? I don't know, but okay. uh, it's uh, it's really interesting to me because I, I do think um, Ann Lauer is so well-liked. I think Ryan Reynolds is so well-liked. I think there's four groups that are really in the mix, right? Five, maybe five, but four that seem to be uh, serious about this and, and ready to you know, write a check for 900 million or something north of that. And, uh, I guess, you know, we're 24th of, of April, maybe by the 10th of May, 15th of May, we'll, we'll have a better sense of, of when those, those, those second bids are due, uh, which I, you know, I I've heard May 15th, but I, I, I don't know that for sure. Okay. Uh, but if, if we get a date of May 15th for, for second bids being offered, you would think another two weeks after that, end of may is when we might see a conditional uh conditional sale and how important do you think like how likely do you think ryan reynolds will be attached to the bid i think it has to have like i think at this point alex it would be extremely uh disappointing 
underwhelming oh. uh, to not have him here. And 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 I I mean that with no disrespect to anybody who would buy the team and not have Reynolds attached. Yeah, I think that they. I'm not saying that they wouldn't be great, competent, deep pocketed, uh, committed owners. I'm not saying that at all. But once you let the idea out, like you can't put that genie back in the bottle. I I'd love to know. Like I, I'm having a hard time picturing the scenario where Reynolds isn't part of this franchise and Ottawa fans are happy. No. I'm having a hard time. And no. uh, this is what, you know, we've seen what he's done this week with Wrexham. Uh, we kind of look at ourselves the same way in Ottawa, a little scrappy, punchy uh, underdog mm-hmm. team that nobody externally seems to, to respect. And, you know, Ryan and, and, and Rob McElhenney went in there and they just, they just changed the culture and they told some stories and they built up the brand. And all of a sudden look at them get elevated. And that's what you're thinking could happen with Ottawa. It's uh, uh, what's more exciting is that they're sitting right there. Like, like yeah. this, this, this organization has put such good pieces in place now. Like they're on the precipice of success. Like whether or not Ryan Reynolds is owning the team, as we talked about earlier, this could or should be a playoff team next year. So it's not like he's coming in, like if Ryan Reynolds came in in 2018, uh, he'd yeah. probably be like, "Well, we got a long way to go before yeah. we, uh, you know, turn this around." I don't think he's got a long route here, but but it's there, and it, it would be awfully disappointing for him to not be not be involved. And and with ownership blooming, and and there's normally wholesale changes to to management. How likely do you see Pierre Dorian being the GM when the season starts next season? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question, a fair question. Like, it, like if I'm looking at the timeline now, I I would say for sure I think he's going to run the draft and free okay. agency. If I had to guess, yeah, like I could be wrong, uh, but I think he should, you know, probably end up running the draft and free agency. And then there there is an absolute argument to be made that if he ran the draft and free agency and kind of set the table for your team in the summer. Does he deserve the chance to see it through for one year? For sure. There, there's absolutely that. But we don't know what the new owners are thinking. We don't know what kind of uh, due diligence they've done or going to do or what they think or what their vision is. Maybe they have their own people in place. That part, we don't know. So I think it's it's pure speculation. Until you figure out who's owning the team and what their uh, what their vision is, it's really hard to to, yeah. to sit here and speculate yeah. on 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 uh-huh. and the timing of it's going to be a big part. Like yeah. like if we knew the answer to this by May first, then then yeah, it conceivably they wouldn't. You know there would there would be some major changes, but I don't. I'm not seeing that right now before June 28th in the draft. And as as going alongside with with Pierre Dorian is obviously DJ Smith the coach, and I thought. Uh, Pierre Dorn gave DJ quite a tepid endorsement, not the most kind of a wholehearted one. What did you think of the job that DJ Smith did last season in coaching the Sens? And does he deserve another shot next year with this team? Well, it was a 13 point improvement, you know, year over year, 13 point. That's a significant improvement. It wasn't three points or five points. Like I think it would be a pretty easy case to move on from DJ Smith. If there was no tangible sign of improvement but there was and 13 points is 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 pretty big right so i think like to me i think he did a good job uh but if they bring him back it's gotta be 
Like you can't stumble out of the gate. You can't get to November and, and just be okay. Now I know some people will say, well, Ian, isn't that what you said last yeah. year? Yeah, it is. And so I, I understand it. I, I do. And, and I, and you know, um, I do think that the players like playing for him. I really do. I really like, I, I think the younger guys that have had him for two, three, four, five years, four years, uh, really appreciate him. I think they appreciate the communication that he has with them for the most part. I think he's honest with, with the, the core of the guys. Um, you know, I look, there's a, to me, they took enough of a step to warrant keeping their jobs. They did They enough of a step. Was it a quantum leap? No, but it was a no. step, but now they have to basically be willing to put the target on their back and say, we're a playoff team next year. DJ Smith appeared to If you don't think that you can be or should be, then you're not the right person for the job. And, That's and, all, plain and simple. And you mentioned the goaltending maybe being the biggest kind of weakness of this team this year. How likely in your mind is it that the Sens go with a Sogard and Forsberg goaltending duo for next year? Or do they add to that? Or what what, what do you think? I think if they want to make the play, I'm a big mad Sogard guy. Me too. I, yeah. I think he's got the physical and mental attributes to be a legitimate goalie, but he's not ready now. I think he needs a year, another two, whatever it is, bring him in. And so if you really have playoff aspirations next year, you need another veteran goalie to ride with Anton Forsberg. Um, you know, whether that's through a trade, whether that's through uh, free agency, but you need somebody to come in and stabilize the goaltending position. Cause I think when, you know, when they got rid of Matt Murray, I think the feeling was, thank goodness gracious, there he goes. He brought so much instability to our crease. We'll never have to worry about that again. Ham, Talbot, Anton Forsberg, 40 starts each, were golden. And then what happened? Yeah. Right? It was it was a year where Cam got hurt three times. Forsberg got hurt. They used seven different starters. And it felt like we were right back to square one. So I think they need to improve the goaltending with the idea that uh, that maybe Sogard could be ready to take over in the NHL when Forsberg's contract expires or something, you know, have a succession plan in place. But I think if you want to compete for the playoffs next year, you've, you've got to figure out how to stabilize the goaltending. And, and with the defense, like they have so many left shotted defensemen, how do you think that plays out next year? Who do you think? Do you think a Chikrin will start playing on the right as he did a little bit? Does Sanderson go to the right? How do you see the defense working? I think your top four pairings are uh, Sanderson and Zub and Chikrin and Shabbat. And I think we might even see Shabbat playing a little bit on the right. Whatever. But those will be your top two pairings. And I think they're going to each play 20 minutes a night, roughly, maybe probably a little bit more, 24, uh, and, uh, you know, leave 13, 14 minutes for the third pairing of Eric Brandstrom and Travis Hamannick, Eric Brandstrom and Tyler Clevin, Eric Brandstrom and JBD, like whatever mm-hmm. whatever that turns out to be. So I, I think they're in a good spot. This is the first time we've gone into a summer, an offseason, and, well, now we're wondering who's the third pair partner. Yeah. That's a huge upgrade right there. We're not talking about second pair anymore. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's how it'll play out if I had to guess with those uh, with those guys playing the top four minutes and and Branstrom finding a, a partner on the uh, on the third pair. 
And before before I let you go, I have a, a, a kind of interesting question for you. And I've thought about this because Tim Stutzler feels as though he's the, the new face of the franchise. But um, the, do you think he could be, what's his ceiling? And in my mind, it, it could be someone like a Alfredson, maybe not what he means to the city necessarily, but that level of a Hall of Fame perennial all-star type of player. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, Alex. Like, And I've said this on TSN 1200 when I've been on. Tim is the first guy that I've thought of that will potentially break all of Daniel Alfredson's franchise records if he stays here. I've never thought that about a player until Tim came along. Like, you know, Brady Kachuk has really unlocked a new level of his offensive side. He's great. But I think Tim's ceiling and his stratosphere is just a touch higher than Brady. Brady. So I'm thinking at the end of the day, even if they play their entire careers with Ottawa, I think Timmy would end up with more points career than Brady. I think if just based on the ceiling. So I I think the ceiling for Tim is perennial 40 goal, 100 point guy. I I, I think that for the next, for the duration of his contract, 40 and a hundred is within realm, uh, within reach every year. That to me is going to, of all the things that Pierre Dorian has done in his time as general manager, Locking up Tim Stutzler to an eight times eight at that price is going to be the best thing he ever did. I think it has. Well, what, what would he be if he had to sign ten. him? This, ten million. Ten, maybe even more. Honestly, ten. But, I think. I think yeah. the number starts with the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I before I let you go, I, I always have this. I, I love listening to you and uh, Sean and you guys take fan questions on your athletic show, and yeah. I, I have one for you that. If you were the NHL commissioner for one day, what rule would you change? Ooh. Uh, I would get rid of offside video review for offside. Oh. Um, Julian I think McKenzie it, said that the other day, actually. Yeah. Oh man, I can't have the same answer as him. Yeah. No, but no. but but it's uh it's it's a function of, you know, I think we're going back, we we created a problem that didn't exist before. For for generations, we were watching hockey without watching the zone entry we didn't care now every time a guy goes in i'm like ah geez that seemed awfully suspicious i hope they don't score here and then they do and you're like here we go and and in reality did that split second impact or influence the goal no it didn't it didn't so let it go in fact i mean i would be a proponent if you told me that there's a way to just eliminate offside completely i would even have that conversation but for now you tell me I could get rid of one thing, it would be offside review. Okay. Okay. I like I like that rule. I, I also don't like the challenge with the timeouts, like everything where it affects that and then you get a penalty. I, I no. wish I wish it was more like tennis where you have a challenge, you throw yeah. it, you get it, you lose it, you keep it. Um, if you get it right. Uh, thanks so much, Ian, for for taking the time. Um, I wanna give you the floor. Is there anything you're working on going forward that you wanna kind of plug for for the listeners? No, nothing right now. It's kind of in the off season. So I'm always open to ideas. If people have some ideas of things they want to see tackled, by all means, uh, fire a tweet at me or whatever, and uh, I'll see if I can dig into it. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time. I really enjoyed this and uh, hopefully uh, see you soon and excited for the next season. And hopefully maybe you'll be uh, sitting beside Ryan Reynolds a lot next year at at games. So excited for that. That'd be great for the city. So I'd be happy for that. So yeah, listen, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thank you.